Well, we've been walking through, again, reading through God's Word. This past week, we've been reading the book of Judges, and then into Ruth, and now into 1 Samuel. And today, I kind of want to spend some time focused on the book of Judges. Because the book of Judges is kind of an interesting book. It's, you know, probably written by Samuel, and it, and it tells the story from the, the death of Joshua all the way up through the installation, the coronation of, of Saul as king over Israel. It covers a, a period of time, about 350 years, that, that really is kind of a revolving door. It's kind of a, a cycle that we read. And if you've spent any time at all studying through the book of Judges, you know what cycle I'm talking about. You're talking about a, a group of people, followers of God, who follow God, who then drift away from God, who then are punished because they're drifting away from God, and then God delivers them yet again. And it's an interesting dynamic because when you read through the book of Judges, the one thing that keeps going through your mind is like, why didn't they get it? Like, why was it so hard for them to understand who God was and what God had done? These were the people that no question about it had heard many times over from their fathers and from their grandfathers and going right on back in time over and over again, all of the great things that God had done, how God had delivered time and time again how God had brought them out of Egypt, how God had protected them in the wilderness, how just recently God had walked them into the promised land and had taken care of the enemies that were in front of them, that the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, as we talked about last week, that God had done some amazing things. And yet what we read in the book of Judges is this, is they just kept forgetting. In fact, if you read through the book of Judges over and over again, there's a phrase that keeps popping up, and it just simply says this, is that Israel did evil in the sight of God. In fact, if you kind of spend some time looking through and studying through God's Word, you see that about 47 different times throughout the Old Testament, you hear that phrase, they did evil in the sight of God. Even more times than that, we hear the statement that everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. And so what we see is that there was a cycle, kind of a revolving door, where they were kind of just going into this revolving cycle, revolving door, and they just kept going in, and they ended up coming right back out where they started. And I think many of us, when we were kids, we were like, we were mesmerized by those revolving doors, right? You know, the ones that were in hotels or, you know, in big uh, department stores. I don't think we have any here in Lynchburg, which I think is just a, a travesty. But, I, you know, I remember when I was a kid, man, I used to love to go in those doors. They were so much fun. Because you know what you did as a kid, right? You went in there and you just never came out. You just wanted to go in circles and just keep going over and over again. And then if you're lucky enough to go into one and someone goes in it with you, what did you always do? Like you got to the other side and then you got out and you stopped it and you held it, right? They're just stuck. Man, I've done that so many times and I mean, I just, those things are awesome. But the one dynamic that you know about those doors is this. They're there, and of course they're created to, you know, kind of keep the cold air in in the summer and keep the hot air in in the winter. But the goal of that door, you know, is really to be a passageway, right? To get you from either inside out or from outside in. But the problem is, is if you get into that revolving door and you just keep going in circles, you never go anywhere. That's what Israel was doing. Israel was going through this continual cycle of following God, drifting away from God, walking with God, running from God, obeying God, disobeying God, and all of the pain and all of the sorrow that comes along with it. And I think that today, that's exactly what we all do. In our own journeys, in our own lives, we easily get into this kind of this cycle, this revolving door of righteousness in our own lives where, where we kind of lose sight of 
how awesome it is to just simply follow God. And so today, that's what I want to talk about. Now, in the book of Judges, we see the story, because again, remember, it covers about 350 years. And it also starts with the death of Joshua. So Joshua dies, and then it says in Joshua chapter 2, in verse 10, it says these words, that that whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. Now that's a very nice way, a very kind way, a very antiseptic way to say this. Everybody who had come in and and captured the promised land, all of them were dead. Everybody had died. It was a whole new clan, a whole new group. It says this, it says after them, after everybody died, there was another generation that rose up who did not know the Lord or the works that he had done for Israel. Remember back in the book of Deuteronomy, we talked about it a few weeks ago, how twice in the book of Deuteronomy, God said, write this on the doorposts of your house, like like attach it to your hands and your forehead, talk about it when you get up in the morning and when you go to bed at night, tell your children what God had done. This is kind of underscoring the importance of that statement. That's why God told Moses and Moses told Israel, hey, make sure you tell your kids about what God did. Because when you don't remember what God did, you will always walk away from God later. When you don't remember the goodness of God yesterday, you will always walk away from the goodness of God today. That's what Israel was doing. And I think honestly, that's kind of what we're doing. I think that's what America is doing. That's what I think the church today is doing. That we just kind of live in this, this, this cycle of comfort. We live in this world where we've been given so much and the technology that we have is just insane. We carry around in our pockets these little phones that if you go back about 30 or 40 years ago, you had to have like an entire room to hold the computing power that now we take for granted. We've been, you know, kind of in light speed. You know, we've kind of gotten up to this place where we have so much at our fingertips and we are so blessed and we are so gifted and we've been given so much that we've lost sight of what God has done. And so today what I want to do is I want to kind of use the story of Israel. I want to use the story of the book of Judges. I want to use the story about how they, you know, kind of kept going through this cycle to kind of encourage us to like just not do that to kind of get away from that that cycle in our own lives so that we can live for God and walk with God and then we can make sure that our kids behind us, the generation that comes up behind us, do the exact same thing. Because one thing Israel learned, and I hope we learned, is this, is that forgetting the goodness of God of yesterday is the first step towards our disobedience of God tomorrow. Forgetting what God did yesterday is just like, just you can guarantee it. It is the first step towards making sure that tomorrow you're going to start walking in the ways of the world. That's exactly what Israel did. Look what it says in Judges chapter 2 verse 11. It says that the Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. There's that, that phrase there. It says they worshiped the Baals and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods from the surrounding peoples and they bowed down to them and they infuriated the Lord. Man, that's an indictment against Israel, but it's an indictment against us because we do the same thing. We do it different ways, but man, we do the same thing. Now, this passage tells us that they forgot about what God had done. They did evil in the sight of God and it says that they, they worshiped the Baals. 
Now, we've all heard the term Baal. It's kind of a reference to the, the gods of the people of those days. And Baal wasn't just like one guy. There were lots of different Baals. That's why it says they worshiped the Baals, because there were many different ones. There were many different Baals that were back there. If you go back into the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 25, remember, we talked about Baal Peor. Remember when, when Balaam was brought up uh, to, to curse Israel. They were wanting to, you know, they were following Baal Peor. Well, the Baals they're talking about here, that was the God of the storms and the rain. Now, that's an important distinction. It's one that oftentimes when we read through the book of of Scripture, through the book of Judges, we kind of hear that, and we don't really kind of catch on to what uh, the, the, the significance of that statement. But if Baal is the God of the storms and the rain, what does rain bring? Can somebody tell me, what does rain bring? Life, but, but brings crops, right? Now, remember... This is not a group of people that could go and do the click and shop at Kroger's or Walmart and pick up their food and go home, right? This is a group of people that had to eat based on what they grew. And so what happened is, it teaches us here, is they became a materialistic society. That Israel was focused on provision. They were focused on what, what that they could get. And so they were worshiping the Baals because they had to have, they had to have their crops in order to eat. Because back in that day, their significance, their wealth, their value was based on, it was kind of driven by the crops that they had and the livestock that they owned. And livestock can't exist unless they eat what? They eat the crops, right? And so now you can see the significance of the statement that Israel had become a materialistic society and they were worshiping the God of storms, the God of rain, because they needed the crops in order to eat. In other words, they've become, back then, a whole lot like what we've become today. Because we're a comfortable society, aren't we? You think about it, there's probably not many, if any, people in this room or any watching today by television that are worried about how you're going to find food to eat tonight. We probably all kind of take that for granted, don't we? As you drive home today, you're going to pass like 50 fast food restaurants that you could go through and you could get a burger for a buck. You're going to drive by grocery stores where you could go in and buy all kinds of snacks and food and, and, and vegetables too. But you know, all the good stuff, snacks and Little Debbie's and all those kinds. I mean, you're going to drive by place after place after place, right? You see, we've become really comfortable. We're not worried about where we're going to sleep tonight. We're a society that is in, you know, pretty in large part, we're doing pretty well. When you compare us to people in other parts of the world, people who do in fact worry about what they're going to eat tonight, who do worry, in fact, about where they're going to sleep tonight. You see, we're in a different position, aren't we? We're a really comfortable society. And so what we see in Israel back in those days is they began to worship the Baals because they wanted to make sure that it rained, because they wanted to make sure they had crops, because they wanted to make sure that they could eat and their livestock could eat so that they would be comfortable. Now, what have they forgotten if they're worried about that, if they're focused on that, if that's like the big deal, what do you think they've forgotten? Charles talked a little bit about it last week. In fact, he had a really corny joke about it last week. Remember the manna kati? Remember that? Yeah. So they had forgotten that when they were in the wilderness where there were no crops, when they were in the wilderness where they didn't have the ability to, to eat on their own, what did God provide? God provided water, and God provided manna, and God provided quails. God provided. But you see, now they'd forgotten what God had done, and they were only worried about what they have now. 
So when you begin to forget what God did yesterday, it's the very first step, but it's also a definite step towards forgetting what God can do today. And that's exactly what Israel was going through. That's what they were walking through. That's what they were navigating. Because the minute that we forget how much they needed God in the crises of the past, it's the very minute that we forget that we need God in the comfort of now. And I think that's where we are as a church. I think that's where we are as a society. It's where we are in America, certainly. It's like, man, we've lost sight of how much we need God because we don't need much. And so we've got to make sure we understand and Don't forget what God did. All of us have stories, markers in our lives of the goodness of God. Man, I've got lots of stories in my life, markers that I can look back to and, and remember how God just showed up and did something miraculous. Going all the way back to when I was six years old. When I was sitting at the old Thomas Road Baptist Church and I was sitting there listening to a, a Sunday night sermon given by a guy named Freddie Gage who was up there preaching. And I remember the title of his sermon. The title of his sermon that night was this, All My Friends Are Dead. Now I can guarantee you the one thing I was thinking about as a six-year-old, I don't want to be his friend. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to befriend that guy, right? All his friends are dead. But what he was talking about is the fact that, that we recognize that in his life, what he went through and all the experiences he went through, he recognized that without Christ, we're all dead. And so that night, I remember, God spoke to me. It was a marker in my life. It's one I remember, where in that moment, I knew that I needed a Savior. I knew that Jesus is the one that came, that died on the cross, that was buried and rose again for me, that He paid for my sins. And that moment was a marker for me. That's when I got saved. There were lots of moments like that in my journey. Moments like when I was called to ministry. Moments like when I asked Sherry to marry me, and she said yes. That was a pretty cool thing. God did that. The moment that God gave us our four children. The moment that God gave us our first grandchild. It's really cool. This morning, Olivia, my little grandchild, my beautiful little grandchild, I got pictures. Um, Paige was here in the first service and she was seated over on the far side over there and Olivia was down there and she was sitting on her lap and she was looking up and she was actually watching me and listening to me preach. And she heard everything I said and she understood everything. She's very smart. <laughs> That's a marker. That's a goodness of God moment that you can celebrate. Listen, don't ever forget the goodness of God in your lives. You might be sitting there saying, yeah, but I don't have a lot of good moments. Man, I'm going through a trial right now. I'm going through a moment right now. I've had some bad things in my past. Let me make sure you understand. I've had some difficult days in my past too. I've had days in my past where I've wondered, does God even care? I've had some days in my past where I've wondered, has God like abandoned me? Has God left me? There have been moments in my life and my journey where I've wondered, does God even want to show up? And it's in those moments, which we all have, it's in those moments that are very real, it's in those moments that are very impactful in our lives, it's in those moments that we must force ourselves to remember what God has done yesterday if we're going to trust God to do for us what we need today. And so don't ever forget, because when you forget, it's the first step towards disobedience, it's the first step towards walking away from God. And here's another thing we need to understand. Because again, now this journey that Israel was on, something we can learn from, is disobedience always has to be punished. Like, like disobedience always requires punishment. Look what it says in verse 14 and 15. After Israel had done evil in the sight of God, after they had walked away from God, it says this, the Lord's anger burned against Israel. How would you like that phrase to be written about you? The Lord's anger burned towards Jonathan. I don't know about you. I don't want that phrase to ever be written or said. 
And I think all of us would say, I don't want that to be said about me, but look what it says about Israel. God's chosen people. It says, the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he handed them over to the marauders who had raided them. Now remember, this is right after, think about this, after he had cleared the deck for them as they walked into the promised land. After the walls of Jericho had come tumbling down as we sing, right? After all that, it says now that he delivered them over, handed them over to the marauders who raided them. He sold them to the enemies around them, and they could no longer resist their enemies. Whenever the Israelites went out, the Lord was against them and brought disaster on them just as he had promised and sworn to them. So they suffered greatly. Here's the lesson we've got to learn. God cannot tolerate sin and disobedience. God will not tolerate sin and disobedience. It's not because he doesn't love us. It's because he's a holy God and he can't be in the presence of that. That God can't put up with that kind of stuff. And here's what happens. When we forget what God did yesterday, it naturally leads us to a life of disobedience and sin. And when we walk in disobedience and sin, you can mark it down. Take my word for it. I promise it's true. God will bring judgment and punishment when we live that way. It is, you can, it's guaranteed it's going to happen. It happened for Israel. It happened in their journey. Because God has to punish sin, and that's what Israel was experiencing. That's what Israel was going through as they were walking through this, this 350-year cycle where it was like, man, just things were messed up, and, and life was tough, and they were oppressed, and they were defeated, and they were broken. It's because they forgot what God did, and then as a result of forgetting what God did, they disobeyed God, walked away from God, and then God punished them for doing so. Listen, I'm just telling you, and if you take nothing away from this sermon except for what I'm telling you right now, take this, okay? When you let that cycle happen in your life, I can guarantee you the judgment and the punishment of God will be on you. That's not because a preacher said it. That's because God's Word says it. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, you know what that says? It says this, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Now that's a passage talking about the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us. It's referring back to what took place in the Old Testament where they had to slaughter everything that moved, right? I mean, they were, if you, we've been reading it, right, through the book of Leviticus. You know what I mean? Over and over again, man, I'm telling you, they, they were having like, you know, barbecues every single night, but then when Jesus came, he became the sacrifice once and for all. So without the shedding of blood, there's a remi no remission of sins. But in our journey, when we're walking away from God, walking without God, that shedding of blood might be our own because of the punishment that God brings into our own journey. And so we've got to remember, we've got to understand that there is a consequence to our sin. All sin is equal before God. And it doesn't matter how little the sin is or how big the sin is. All sin is equal before God. Consequences are different, but it is sin that must be punished. Now, one thing we need to recognize is this. Is that while we know that our forgetting of God leads to punishment, leads to sin, and sin leads to, to punishment, the one thing we've got to understand is that that punishment that God brings, that, that consequence that we experience in our lives doesn't mean that God stops loving us. We've got to understand that punishment doesn't mean God stops loving. Look what it says in verse 16. It says, The Lord raised up judges who saved them from the power of the marauders. But they did not listen to their judges. Cycle again. Instead, they prostituted themselves with other gods, bowing down to them. And they quickly turned, them from, the, or turned from their way of their fathers who had walked in obedience to the Lord's command. And they did not do as their fathers did. Now listen to these words. And man, I hope you get this. 
Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for the Israelites, the Lord was with them and saved the people from the power of their enemies while the judge was still alive. The Lord was moved to pity whenever they groaned because of of those who were oppressing and afflicting them. Did you catch that? The power that is found in that statement? So let me explain it to you in case you missed it. Here's what it says. Israel disobeyed God. They walked away from what their fathers had taught them. They walked away from trusting God. They'd forgotten how God had delivered. They'd forgotten all the great things that God had done in their lives. They were living a life of sin and self-sufficiency. And they were all about themselves. And they were worshiping the gods of the land that they were now living in. They were connecting themselves. It even says they were prostituting themselves to the gods they were in that land. They were doing everything that God hates. And you know what it says? Even still... But God raised up judges to deliver them. That God raised up people that would deliver them from the hands of the oppressors, would deliver them from the pain, deliver them from the suffering, deliver them from the evil that was around them. And it says that the Lord was moved to pity when they groaned, when they complained. Here's what that tells me. When he had every right to turn his back on Israel, and he did, When he had every right to walk out the door and shut the door behind him, lock and say, Israel, you're on your own. When God had every right to say, you know what? They were my promised people. They were my chosen people. I'm going to go choose a new people because I don't like those people anymore. He had every right to do that. Here's what he said. Now, I love them. And even though they do this to me every single day, I want to bring them out. I want to deliver them. Man, how encouraging is that? Does that encourage you? Because here's what I know about me. I told you about a little while ago, six years old, I trusted Christ. So I became, in that moment, I became one of the children of God. Man, that's awesome. Six years old, man, I'd been living a life of sin up to that point, man. You know, six, I mean, I'm telling you, you name it, I, did, I stole cookies. I mean, I was a, I, I disobeyed my mom. I didn't clean my room. Come on, people. Do you want to come to the altar now and get saved? I didn't clean my room when my mom told me. I mean, I was an awful kid, and I got saved when I was six years old. And it was awesome when God saved me, and I became a child of God. And here's what I know, that from that time until this time, there have been lots of times when I've disobeyed God, when I've walked away from God. And here's what I know, and this passage promises, it encourages, it tells me that this is true, that there has never been a moment that I've done anything where God said, I am done with you. Same thing's true of every person seated in this room, every person watching, every person listening. God is never done with you. In fact, when he is punishing you, when you're paying the price for your sins, here's what it proves. It proves how much he loves you because punishment is to correct you. I've got four kids. I remember when they were younger, man, there were lots of times that I had to punish them for something that they did. There were lots of times that I had to, you know, to to punish them for acts that they committed, things that they did, they disobeyed, or things. And here's what I know. Maybe not at the time, but now all of them looking back, here's one thing I know every one of them understands. I never stopped loving them. That when I punished them, I was punishing them for their own good. You know, it's that old statement, you know, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. How many of you, how many of you kids, you believe that when that happened? When you were told that, did you believe that? I mean, you believed that was a lie from the pit of hell, didn't you? But now as parents, man, you get it. Yes, it hurts you more than it hurts them. Why? Because you love them that much. And that's what God does for us. That's how much God loves us. 
He recognizes, he understands his great love for us, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to save us. And so just because he punishes does not mean that he doesn't love us. The Lord cares for us even when we don't care for him. So, so here's, the, here's the takeaway. Here's the kind of the, the thing that we need to grab a hold of, okay? Stop the cycle. Stop the revolving door. Quit, quit going in circles and actually walk out. Look what it says in Judges, chapter 2, verse 19. Whenever the judge died, remember the judge was the guy that there's 12 of them listed in the book of Judges, and, you know, Gideon and Samson and all the, the great judges there. Um, whenever the judge died... It says the Israelites would act even more corruptly than their fathers, going after other gods to worship and bow down to them. They did not turn from their evil practices or their obstinate ways. The only way to stop the cycle, the only way to stop the revolving door is to come to a place in your journey in your life where you just finally understand how much God loves you, finally understand how much he wants to protect you, finally understand and remember all of the goodness of God from yesterday so when you face the trials of today, the problems of tomorrow, the issues of the next day, that you will trust God no matter what. And when you do that, that cycle stops. When you do that, the revolving door becomes just an open path. When you do that, you get to the place where you simply understand that God's going to get you through. Leon Morris said it this way. I want you to hear this quote. He said this, the voice of conscience, that's our own consciousness, can become dulled by successive acts of sin. And repentance can become more and more superficial until, ensnared in the character formed by a multitude of thoughts and actions, a miracle is needed to produce a genuine repentance and a seeking of the Lord with the whole heart. In other words, let me just kind of boil that down for you is this. The more and more we sin, the more and more our consciences are seared, that we don't recognize and understand sin, so then our repentance becomes superficial. It doesn't mean anything. And we just keep on doing the same thing over and over and over again until we get to genuine repentance. And genuine repentance means this, turning away from our sin and walking towards God. And that's why Christ came. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he rose again to give us the ability to trust him. So we got to get to this place where the cycle stops. We've got to get to the place where we just simply get it. Man, don't let the story of the judges, the Israel in the time of the judge, don't let that be your story. Followed God, fell away from God. Followed God, fell away from God. Followed God, fell away from God. Man, don't let that be your story. It doesn't really end well in the book of Judges. Judges. 